0: on the Speed Motorsport News. Brando Bodoa will join Van Fort Racing for the 2022 Italian Formula 4 Championship. Brando is the son of former minority and Ferrari F1 driver, Luca Badua. His father says he couldn't be prouder. This is a wonderful moment for my family. I couldn't be any prouder. I'm hoping that my son will eventually outperform my record in the motorsport. Luca Badoer holds the record for the most 12 restarts, 50, and the most race laps completed, 2,364, without scoring a point. His son's chances of doing better than that are pretty good. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed—a sort of slightly slimmed-down lineup of the team this time round because it's me and Sarah Leach for this part of the show. How are you doing, Sarah?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Gareth. Unfortunately, not live from Australia, but well, <laughs> it will do.
0: You were so in my thoughts as the young people say when they played Advance Australia perfectly reasonable at the (laughs) pre-race build-up to the Australian Grand Prix. I was wondering were you watching it at that moment and did you cry?
1: You know what? It was just great to see all the local pictures and just to see all the footage and the overhead shots. I'm not from Melbourne, I'm from Sydney, yeah. but just to, to sort of see, you know, the Australian crowd and it really did resonate with me quite a lot because it is from home and it could just, it's pictures from home really. Just the culture, you know, does shine through a little bit. So it just felt like good Australian local footage.
0: <laughs> yeah, it must be, Well, I found it reassuring because I remember mm-hmm. what you said when the season started, in the Middle East, it was kind of good, but it didn't quite feel like the start of the season because, you know, that whole middle of the night thing is very exciting and it wasn't Australia. And now that we've had a couple of races to get used to the new cars, things have settled in. It felt like a reboot, a restart to the series. Oh, yes, Australia. The season has actually started. It felt real. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was great, wasn't it? It was good. And no, it's a bit of a shame that Australia didn't kickstart the season this year. It is a bit of a different feel. Yeah, But yeah, it's a very interesting already this season. It's so many different stories coming to light than I guess the last couple of years where it was a little bit same, same.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's very important to have Ferrari back in the mix. I mean, very important for the sport as a business over the 70 years of it or whatever it is. Really important. But it's still in flux, I think, at this point. I think Max Verstappen would be the first to say that it's in flux. He had another DNF this time round. And what was he said in an interview today that he can't believe in the title at the moment?
1: Wow. Yeah, I think I read that too. He said he can't even sort of foresee the championship battle. He just needs to concentrate on actually finishing races. I mean, he's had two DNFs in the last three races, so he's only really finished one. I think he's sitting sixth in the driver's standing. Wow. So he's very far off the top. He's got a lot of work to do to get back up there. But then when he does finish races, he's usually at the top. So he might catch up quite quickly, you know, if he is a bit more reliable. Because it was a car issue that he DNF'd, wasn't it?
0: I'm not sure what the official line is, but it wasn't the engine. I think it was the fuel pump or some connector or an electrical supply to the fuel pump that failed. But it proves how ruddy difficult it is to build a very quick car that is also very very reliable. Adrian Newey cars are slightly famous for being a bit temperamental in their first few weeks. Can you tell, by the way, I've got a sinus infection. You've got a cold as well, haven't you, oh, Sarah? I've got a
1: cold. I, I, I'm at the tail end of it, thank goodness. But yes, I've got a cold. I've spent the last <laughs> but, week yeah. in the attics and
0: my head is full of dust from goes back as far as 1958 parts of my attic. It's like a time tunnel. So apologies if I sound a bit I hope you had a
1: mask on. I hope you had a mask on for that. You don't want to get ill from it.
0: Do you know, Sarah, you're absolutely right. I didn't. I should have worn a mask too late and I am ill. There you go. Job done. Thank you. Anyway, where were we?
1: (laughs) For those of you at home thinking of cleaning out your attic. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wear a mask. It protects the attic. Not you. It protects the attic. Yeah. Where were we? Adrian Newey's car has been a bit fragile at the start of the season. Clearly a very, very quick car. Arguably the only car that could take the battle to Ferrari at the moment. But it's being a bit temperamental. But Adrian Newey cars are usually temperamental in they have really complex aerodynamics or something, and it takes you a while to understand that. That's Mercedes' problem at the moment, bizarrely. It's something that Red Bull often have to have got over in the past with Adrian Newey's sophisticated technical engineering. But the fact is, Red Bull are now managing... What was that Honda engine, with the help of Honda themselves, it proves how hard it is to do that. I mean, a Formula One engine is a, or sorry, power unit, can't call it an engine, is a really complex piece of engineering. And I don't think it's something that you can learn to do in a year. And that's what Red Bull are facing at the moment, I think.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's a very hard task. But it sounds like they've been working very hard in Marinello's. And my understanding, from what I read, of what Charles Leclerc? Leclerc, Charles Leclerc. (laughs) Charles (laughs) um, Leclerc, yes. Charles Leclerc. um, From what he said, they're still working on developments on that car. So Ferrari have really been doing their homework. Yeah. And they probably should have been, given the last two years were fairly quiet for them. You know, they used to be so prolific, Ferrari. So it's nice to see them back at the top.
0: Yeah, it's really important. And Leclerc, I was saying to Tycho earlier on, you know, if you win your first world championship... In a Ferrari, Mm -hmm. you are a Ferrari driver forever. You know, you win any world championship for Ferrari. But if you've won one previously, it doesn't resonate as much as you won it for Ferrari. And that has a different weight to it. Because I think the best way to describe Formula One, I often say to people, it's beat Ferrari at their own game. That's the nature of Formula One. Take on the greatest name in motorsport and see if you can beat them.
1: That's true. So what we've got, Mick Schumacher, he's obviously a Ferrari great. Who else is your Ferrari great? Not Mick, Michael. Oopsie-daisy, Michael. Gosh, I'm already yeah. used to the new generation.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Michael uh, I've done it myself.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Although Michael Schumacher had won two world championships at Benetton before he went to Ferrari. Okay, Ferrari drivers who've only won championships for Ferrari. Well, Kimi Vettel had won championships elsewhere, but never won at Ferrari. And Lacey never won... Gerhard Berger never won a championship for Ferrari. Gilles Villeneuve never won a championship for Ferrari. Come on, my brain is failing me. I am actually
1: Googling this as we speak.
0: Go on. Who was the last driver to win their maiden championship at Ferrari, apart from Kimi? I wonder if it was Jody Schechter. Before Schumacher then, who was it who won championships for Ferrari? Well, people like Ascari. 1952
1: Formula One season, Alberto Ascari, well done. Yeah. Gee, you're very sharp. And then we've got 1964 Formula One season. You've got John Surtees.
0: No, had John Surtees won a championship previously in another car oh, at that I point?
1: Oh, I see. Nicky Lauda. How did we forget Nicky Lauda? But what year was Lauda's first championship? 1975.
0: 1975, you know. Fangio. Now, had Fangio won... At Alfa Romeo or Mercedes before he won at Ferrari, though. But anyway, the point is that Leclerc, if he wins his first championship at Ferrari, is going to be beatified by the Tifosi. He's basically going to become a saint.
1: I think so, probably. He's very Ferrari. He looks very Ferrari. Carlos Sainz is very Ferrari too. Actually, yeah, yeah, they look. Good I, we've had this conversation before, but <laughs> yeah, they're <we>
0: beautiful, <laughs> those two, aren't they? Yeah, they really, <laughs> they are. really are.
1: They really are. They Bless. are the boy band Bless.
0: of F1. But I find myself rooting for Leclerc. So do I over yeah, I, Max.
1: Yeah, I remember his first year in Formula One. He was great. He was amazing. Yeah, he was great in F2. Yes, yes, exactly. And George Russell, he's sort of accidentally in second place. I think he sort of yes has sort of landed in to second on the championship just sort of by default rather than any effort of his own, kind of, if that sounds right.
0: Yeah. It's, like I said, all in flux at the moment. The cards quite haven't settled yet, have they? There's an awful lot of movement off the ball. Things are going wrong and things are going right. And the fact that Mercedes are second in the championship at the moment out of consistency and a little bit of good fortune... But you've got to be in it to win it. You've got to have a car that runs at every race. Yeah, I hope Red Bull can get that fixed. And I hope Mercedes can get their aerodynamic or suspension issues sorted. So we have a three-way title. Because wouldn't it be great to go into the last race with three... I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. We're only three races in and there's another... 87 races this season or something like that. But wouldn't it be great to have three drivers in the last race potentially capable of winning the championship?
1: Oh, yeah, it would be amazing. I think so, absolutely. But I think all the teams, all of the cars, are finding their feet by the sounds of it. Very yeah,
0: ups and downs. We've had hash who've had, you know, moments of brilliance, moments of averageness. But who was Mick dicing with? Mick was dicing with someone at the Australian Grand Prix, and I was very impressed. I thought, go on, Mick, go on. I like Mick, he's a good lad.
1: Yeah, I, can't. I, did, I did see him overtake with somebody. Uh, I can't remember, but obviously it was at the tail end of the field. Yeah, and McLaren did really well, I think McLaren are fourth overall. They had a, I think, fifth, sixth finish with Landon Norris and Daniel Ricciardo, which is great.
0: And Sarah? I am going to doff my hat to you because I remember in the last show he said, oh no, I think McLaren will sort their problems out, their brakes out and they'll be back. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but they did have a good race. Lando said it was 80% down to their car suiting this circuit because it wasn't big on braking. But you were right, whatever, take it girl. You said McLaren were back. McLaren were back.
1: McLaren were back. And actually, the Australian track Albert Park there, they made significant changes to the track. So the track was a lot faster this year. They changed the corners, so they're a bit easier to get around.
0: Yeah, it was an okay race. It can be a bit processional, Albert Park sometimes, can't it? There was some changing of position, but nothing like the stuff that we had in the first two races of the season, which was, as the drivers themselves described, as being like backing carts which is brilliant entertainment. I am on the fence slightly about how much overtaking you need in Formula One. I think Mm. too much overtaking takes the edge away. Sometimes if it's difficult to overtake, but someone gets by, it's like a striptease. I've said this before. It's all about the potential, isn't it? And when things do happen, it's like, wow. But if it happens all the time, it's like the stripper coming on, just taking all the clothes off and dancing around for 10 minutes. (laughs) That may be interesting, but it's not exciting. You know what I mean? (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Maybe
1: That's it is. right. There was one driver that was running around after the race, taking very happy. Alex Albon. He got his first point. Or Williams.
0: What a bloody strategy they had that enabled him to do that. He hung on to his hard tyres and changed them on lap fifty-eight, wasn't it, of the race?
1: Yeah, yeah, the exactly. He was on hard tyres for most of the race. I thought he never had a tyre change, but obviously he did.
0: The rules say that you have to run two compounds of tyres, so he couldn't finish on hards a long time ago you didn't have to do that i remember when jos verstappen was it in an arrows finished really high up at monaco ran on hard tires and fueled the car to the brim and didn't stop for the whole race and was it jos Or was that Panis who did something? I think Panis did something similar in a Frost or a Ligier at one point. I I can't quite... I'm kidding, I can't remember. (laughs) But we can't have that sort of thing anymore. But I was actually questioning when we got to the last lap of the race, if Albon could actually pull into the pit rather than cross the line, change his tyres, then cross the line. And which end of the pit lane are they? You know, do you have to exit the pit lane or once you cross the line? So if Williams's pit position was forward of the start-finish line, he couldn't do that. But if his pit box was behind the start-finish line, he could come in, put the tyres on, cross the start-finish line and technically... Would have done it right in the very end. Who knows? I like the way that new rules throw up new strategies and that thing the other week about letting someone go past and then retaking them. I like new interpretations of events. That's good. Okay, what else we got to talk about this race? Oh, I tell you what, Sarah, you'll know all about this. Okay. Did you see Lewis Hamilton jump out of an aeroplane recently?
1: I saw him put something on his Instagram. I don't know where it was, but he said something like, oh, I did this yesterday on a Sunday or something. I don't know where in the world it was, but... Lewis Hamilton is often doing stuff like that, so it wasn't too surprising.
0: Yeah, true enough, yeah. It was in Dubai. Oh. And as my father, who was in the RAF, used to say, I see no reason to get out of a perfectly serviceable aircraft, even if you're wearing a parachute. But yeah, this is what Lewis was doing. He was proper skydiving i mean really proper skydiving and he was showing some real skills at it as well he was doing aerial gymnastics he wasn't just hanging there like a lemon this is a man who's done a few jumps
1: Tell you what, he gives everything a red-hot go, that's for sure. I mean, he's surfing, wakeboarding, front-row fashion seats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's a man of many talents, Lewis Hamilton. (laughs) Uh, He refuses to take off his jewellery during the races. The F1 has told all the drivers that they're not to wear jewellery, but he's adamant that drivers should be allowed to be themselves, in inverted commas. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I remember being at the, I think the 1998 Suzuka Grand Prix and reporting on it for BBC Wales, finding links between Formula One and Wales, and there were quite a few. But there were no Welsh drivers at that time, bear with me on this. So I was having a conversation with David Coulthard, and I was recording it for my programme, and I tried to get David Coulthard to wear a little... Badge of the Welsh Dragon Can you wear this and you can't He said no 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 I'm not allowed to wear Anything that may be sharp It could pierce my nipple He said <laughs> during the race And no I'm not allowed So he's been aware of that for a long time But apparently the FIA have said They're going to check people's piercings
1: Really that's like before we I used to play netball when I was younger. We used to get our nails in our ears checked before we went on court.
0: <laughs> your nails in your ears and it stopped there? They didn't check anywhere else?
1: Well, assuming there was no jewelry anywhere else on the, on the you know, unless, well, whatever was dangerous. I mean, something, you know, having an earring in the nose probably, but yeah. it's a little bit different to wearing a seatbelt in case you had a nipple ring. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm wondering how they're going to check. A
1: metal detector?
0: Oh, yeah. That's the way to do it, isn't it? You're right. Mm. Beep, beep, beep. Mr. Hamilton, your trousers are beeping. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Because I'm wondering, you know, if he says he refuses and he doesn't know how they're going to check, then where is it? That's the question. Where is Lewis Hamilton's piercing? Mm. On his body somewhere. That's all we can say. It's body piercing. Yeah. And the other thing is underwear. They're checking underwear as well. You heard about this? Really? That's extreme.
1: They're checking their underwear. Yeah, yeah. Like fireproof underwear or something. Yeah.
0: You're not allowed to wear underwear that is not... FIA rubber stamped as being fireproof, which again would upset David Coulthard, who used to wear lucky pants for many years in Formula One. He had a lucky pair of underpants that he wore for every race, and when he wore them, he won. Oh, really? Yeah, so you have to have lucky fireproof underpants.
1: Every time he lost, he was obviously wearing a different pair.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's what he
1: believes. That's (laughs) what he believes. Apparently, he's very OCD, David Coulthard. He's got two washing machines, one for colours and one for whites. How do you know that? Um, because when I worked with ITV Touring Car Racing, it was the female pit lane presenter that I worked with. She used to work on the Formula One. She knows David. Louise Goodman. Yeah, Louise. And it just came up in conversation. She was telling us how OCD (laughs) David (laughs) Colts is. He's like full on, like you'll have separate washing machines for different colours and wipes. Wow!
0: I love it. I love it. As a man who's just spent two weeks tidying my entire house and going through everything in the category memorabilia in the attic and filing it. Nothing wrong with a bit of OCD. Actually, that's unfair to say that because OCD, people who have real OCD, it's really debilitating and it's horrible for them. They cannot stop. They cannot leave things. And we often use the term OCD in a context where it's not in the correct medical context. You say, oh, he's really OCD about that. No, you're not. You're just finickety about that. If you were OCD, you'd be having treatment for it or... Being very unhappy. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. There we go. no OCD. <laughs> what else happened over the weekend? Oh, talking about lucky pants, right? Do we need to buy Sebastian Vettel some lucky pants? You and me.
1: Probably, because Aston Martin hasn't scored a point this whole year. You're right. So, I think they are usually not this abysmal at the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, they've had some good runs over the last few years. They've had a good chassis, But this year, it's just not working out for them at all. And... Poor old Vettel, who got a fine for riding a scooter around the circuit during, was it practice? Yeah, his car died and rather than got a ride on the back of a scooter with a marshal, he decided to drive it himself or ride it himself and rode along the circuit with his helmet off, his lovely pro-Ukraine helmet, well done Vettel, waving to all the fans, been really happy to be back and he got a fine for it. He must have known he was going to get that fine when he decided to make that decision and he still went and did it. And I like Vettel more and more every day for that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, like when he picks up rubbish in the stand.
0: Yeah, he's very political. and I think maybe he's learned that from Lewis. He sees Lewis making a statement. Um, he's making the eco battle his thing, I think, which is kind of crazy when you drive an Aston Martin, if you think about it. But... Respect to him. We love Vettel. I feel sorry for him. I'm a genuinely poor lad. He needs a better car than that. Do you know what the real highlight of this race for me, Sarah, was? No. Do you tell? Latifi.
1: Nicholas Latifi. He always crashes at the wrong moments. <laughs> That's all I remember about Latifi.
0: And that is why this was the real highlight for me of the race. Latifi didn't crash this week. <laughs>
1: He didn't crash, he crossed the line. Yeah, well done. He finished in 16th place. Well,
0: I think that's worth a tiny round of applause. Well
1: done. (laughs) And you know what? I was really surprised that Fernando Alonso was behind him. He came last, 17th place. And then we had Max Verstappen, Sebastian Vettel and Carlos Sainz, who didn't finish, sadly.
0: Yeah, Alonso had had a tremendous weekend, but... It all went the shape of a pear at the race, didn't it? I'm not quite sure what happened there. Did he have a technical problem? Because he was nursing an issue, wasn't he, in qualifying?
1: I thought it was odd as well that he was so far behind.
0: Yeah. But anyway, I should explain why Zog isn't here for this episode of Gareth Jones Speed. Because he's in Las Vegas. He's out there gambling and shooting and doing a bit of research of the cars in Las Vegas and the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So hopefully he'll have plenty to tell us when he gets back. But I'm sad that he's not here at the moment, Sarah, because of one of the biggest announcements potentially for Formula One for a, a few years was that this week the VW group have said that they are definitely thinking about coming into Formula One with Audi and Porsche, which would make Zog very, very happy. And he'd Amazing. immediately have to become a big Red Bull fan because it's Red Bull who are going to get the Porsche engines, I think. Audi are going to go to either McLaren, because they made an offer for McLaren. I see. Uh, which hasn't been accepted yet. Or they could go to Alfa Romeo, whereas Porsche go to Red Bull we think at the moment and uh, I know it'll make Zong really happy to have Porsche back in F1 again it's been a while but the idea of a McLaren with an Audi engine makes perfect sense to me but the idea of an Alfa Romeo with an Audi engine makes no sense it's okay that Alfa Romeo use Ferrari because they're you know part of the larger family but the idea that an Alfa uses an Audi engine That's just wrong. Yes. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's just wrong. Do not let it happen, please, anyone. But I'm sorry Zog wasn't here to discuss that, but we'll ask him about Porsche coming into F1 when he returns and when it is absolutely confirmed that Porsche are coming in and where they're going. But for now, Sarah, thank you very much indeed. Who's going to win the next race? Oh,
1: goodness me. I don't know, but I think Ferrari's up there, aren't they?
0: It's going to be Leclerc, isn't it?
1: Yes, I think so. But thank you very much, Gareth. It's been very nice having a one-on-one with you.
0: <laughs> well, Sarah, that's a first. Thank you very much indeed.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Coming up in On Speed, Alex Goy and some very nice road cars. On Speed Motorsport News: The 2022 Formula E Rome E Prix was held as a great success. Despite being scheduled for the same day as the Australian Formula One Grand Prix, Mitch Evans had a Jaguar TCS racing, a pair of back-to-back wins on the streets of Rome in Sunday's racing, the New Zealand driver's proud parents commented, hey, it's all good, mate. Happy that all Sunday well, obviously. But frankly, we missed the whole thing. Heck, who wants to get up in the middle of the night to watch electric cars when we could get a good night's sleep? And watch some proper amount of sport at the Australian Grand Prix at a reasonable time of the day. You gotta hand it to those Kiwis. They are pragmatic people.
1: Gareth Jones and me!
0: Joining me from South London right now, a man wearing a jumper which is a bit close in hue to the colour of the jumper I'm wearing. Alex Goy, are you in my head? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you leaned into the microphone for that. Yes. Oh my God, you are actually in my
2: head.
0: Sorry. Uh, how are you, big boy? How's life in South London? South London's
2: nice. It's not on fire at the moment. That's always a pleasure to behold. <laughs> nice to see that the place isn't on fire. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise, good. Been very, very busy driving lots of things and doing lots of things and busy, busy.
0: And have you been driving lots of things outside of South London? You've had a. A list of what? At least three cars in the last two weeks? So in the last two, three
2: weeks, I have been drovening a Toyota Land Cruiser, an Audi SQ2, or a SQ2. And after that, shortly before, well, that week, I think, I saw you at the Lotus Elettra. Yeah. The Carmen. Didn't you have a Maserati in your drive? There's a Maserati in my drive right now. I'm filming it in two days' time. So when this goes out, I will be taking it back to Slough. Where it lives and get in my car, and then waiting, then I'll be back home and there'll be a Ford Mustang, hopefully not far behind me. Which Mustang? I don't know. I know it's a black convertible, that's all they told me.
0: (laughs) Not a Mustang Mach E.
2: Not a Mach E, because I don't have charging. And it's a bit of a faff. Yeah. And they said, what Mustang would you like? And I went, a loud one, please.
0: Well, that's all. Because I'm a child. Yeah. I love Mustangs. <laughs> we had a, a manual Mustang GT that we took to Le Mans a few years ago. and That's a proper car.
2: Well, it's World Mustang Day on Sunday the 17th. So on Easter Sunday, it's World Mustang Day.
0: Get um, out of there.
2: Yes, apparently. Which is why they said, come and have a Mustang. So I'm going to Caffeine and Machine, one of my second homes, to
0: do some Mustang things. That's why I've got it. Oh, what a treat. I love a Mustang. Zog loves a Mustang. We love a Mustang. I love the way that the Mustang does performance and thrift. Yes. It's a blue-collar sports car. I love that about it. It's mega. It's
2: the best thing. Yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful of I'm looking forward to it. I've not driven one in years. Like, years and years and years and years and years and years and years. So that'll be fun.
0: Can you give me a line on the Maserati? What's this? A Levante GTX It's a Levante
2: Trofeo. Trofeo. It's a Levante Trofeo. So it's got a 3.8 litre turbocharged V8 with 580 metric horsepowers. 4.1 to 62 something ridiculous like that
0: is it a Ferrari engine or an Alfa engine yes it is it's a Ferrari yes, it yeah is. it would be wouldn't it? Yeah. it's
2: derived from the same engine that powers the Portofino and the oh. and the Roma oh how lovely yes yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a
0: Ferrari V8 and it's
2: beautiful I'm very much looking forward to hurling it around the countryside a bit in a couple of days
0: it'll be great well, I bet it will I like that I love a Maserati I remember standing on your balcony watching a Levante go past yeah, a few weeks ago a million years ago but, yeah and saying oh Wouldn't mind one of those. Quite handsome. That's quite nice. So I look forward to seeing your Carfection on that,
2: yes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's Carfection stylings. But the other thing what I has been drovening is, now the embargo's Mm. lifted, in the future it will have lifted Well, It hurts my brain. The Aston Martin DBX 707, another massive, stupidly
0: powered SUV. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of it about, isn't there? There's a lot of it about. There is, yeah. But this one... It's a clever name, isn't it, DBX 707, because it alludes to the bondness of every Aston Martin without overtly being bonded. Do you remember that Peugeot couldn't call the 2007? The, they couldn't call it no, the, 007. It's, it's the 2007 it's the 2007. That's right, yes. It's only something that Aston Martin can do, but I would imagine Aston Martin have to pay a licence to broccoli, don't they? I don't know.
2: But there's lots of Eon stuff that does the rounds. But the name
0: isn't a Bond thing. Guess how much power it's got. Has it got somewhere between 706 and 708 brake horsepower? You're exactly right, yes, wow, that's exactly
2: luggage. how many horsepowers it's got. It's got, in fact, so it's 707 metric horsepower, 697 brake horsepower, 664 pound foot. 0 to 62 takes 3.3 seconds. 0 to 120 or something is 0 to one hundred seven point four, which is ludicrous, and it'll do 193 miles an hour, which makes
0: it the fastest SUV in the world. Wow. Well done. Round of applause for Aston Martin. Small round of applause for doing that. Uh, We we like that. We like that. Although, do you really want to be going that fast in something that heavy? Well, thankfully, the one I drove had carbon
2: ceramic brakes fitted, which means you can lose a lot of speed very, 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 very quickly. Because, yeah, it does weigh two plus tons and it's got all the shiny bits you would expect it to. To be honest, I went in thinking this is just going to be a hammer and it's not going to be able to handle. But then I remembered the original DBX, like for the 2020 car, that handles really sweetly. It's a really, like, pleasantly flowing car. You can have fun with it. Even I can do big skids in it, giving <laughs> track and what have you. Whereas the 707, I was expecting it to be just, here's a hammer, off you go. But actually, because it's new boss Tobias Murs wanting to kind of go for world domination with dbx what he's done is he's made a very very good car (laughs) it's really good yeah the big list of modifications he's made so it has got stiffer springs at the front to help steering softer at the rear to aid traction retuned steering new gearbox shorter thicker carbon prop i think obviously loads of power so new turbos on it new engine mapping, and, 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 yeah. and, It's also got new aero. So it's got confidently the biggest diffuser I've seen on an SUV ever. It's massive. It looks like a bench. So you can <laughs> sit a child on it. The exhaust, like quad exhaust, which is enormous things. They're rude is what they are. They're just rude things it's quite an imposing thing because they've had to redesign the front end they've had to redo the aero because one if you're going at 193 miles now the last thing you want to do is have an unbalanced car you'll just fall over that would be bad so that's
0: balanced kind of important
2: and it's got a big angry face on it now and the big angry face is there to suck in lots of air because it's got a 4-litre turbocharged V8, and they don't want that to explode with 707 horsepower. I do like the new mouth. The new mouth is very good, but the inside bit is my favourite, because it's less fussy than before. It's got carbon fibre bits, and it's got little round buttons instead of those weird hexagonal but not hexagon buttons in there, and it looked very busy, but now it's not quite as busy. It's a very cool thing, but it's a car now that I think Aston Martin's deciding, we're not going to do subtle, we can't be bothered to do that anymore, so how about we just go in your face? So it costs an enormous amount of money. I've got the dollar price in front of me, $236,000 before options.
0: Okay, well, yeah. at the current exchange rate, that's £11 million, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it's bajillion million. It's a lot of car for your money, though. It's a lot of car. I mean, Aston's expecting to sell
2: more 707s than it will the standard one. Wow. And the standard one's got 550 horsepower. I think because they figured out that end of the market, and that end of the market wants the most powerful, it wants the most exciting, it wants the biggest, the brashest, the noisiest, the everythingest yeah. that that it can have, as someone going past my house is trying to demonstrate. <laughs> um people at that end of the market, they just want something big and shouty and loud to go, look at the thing I've got, look at my status, look at how great I am.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now
2: what these people are getting is they're getting the big numbers, like, my power figure is part of the name, so it must be good. It's the fastest SUV in the world. It'll do nearly 200. What they're also getting is a really well-sorted
0: car. That's encouraging to hear, because Aston's U01, they're not bulletproof, are they? No. No, they're
2: not. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, I don't know if DBX707 is bulletproof. I did, what, four or 500 kilometres in one, in a day. I got, did a lot of sitting that day. It was very fun. got through a tank <laughs> and a half of fuel as well.
0: But it's dynamically bulletproof, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It really is quite impressive. So it's got loads of drive modes. I didn't use any of the off-road stuff, because why would you bother? GT mode is its standard one, and that's like the day-to-day one. And it starts up with a big bark and a growl. It goes... But then it quietens down, and you can almost subtly wend your way through town. Not making any noise, not upsetting anyone. The steering's nice and light. The suspension cushions every lump and bump. And it's got this new nine-speed gearbox that just shifts imperceptibly. You just go from ratio to ratio to ratio. As you're driving around town, it's a sensible family car, apart from the fact it's got a massive diffuser and a mouth that looks like it can swallow a school. But what you then do is you lean on it a little bit, and all of a sudden it clears its throat with quite some gusto, and you get this big barking V8 noise, and you don't fly initially. There's a little bit of a wait for the turbos to do their thing. Tiny bit, not a massive wait. It's just a little beat, and it goes, Oh, you want some speed? Off we go. And you're in the distance. The world has passed you by. It's truly bizarre and utterly fantastic. Frankly, it's very addictive and you just keep deciding I want to go for more, and more and more and more and more and more and more. But then you run out of straight road, by which point you're doing the speed limit officer. Of and while you're doing the speed limit officer of barrel up to a corner rather quickly and then you stamp on your big carbon brakes and it leans a little bit because gt the springs are nice and soft because it's all air suspension and then you pitch it in and it just sort of go it leans a bit you go sort of wobble and then off you go it's ridiculous it can switch itself from serene to angry like that yeah. like so so quickly and then you start pressing sport and sport plus and that just turns the
0: wick further and further up and it becomes like a really serious bit of kit Well, with 700 brake horsepower, it's Mm. going to be... How heavy is it, though? 2.3...
2: something, 2.3 million tonnes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: megatons, yeah.
2: DBX 77 weight. I've been writing it for Americans, you see, so all my
0: calculations. 2.2-ish tonnes. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. You know, if I was given a choice, and I'm never going to be given this choice... (laughs) Between a Bentayga, mm. a DBX yeah. and a Cullinan, I think I'd probably go for the Cullinan because it's such an overt statement. Bentley, you've done well for yourself. Yeah. Rolls-Royce.
2: You own the world. You own the company, yeah. the guy, the Bentley. Yeah. yeah right? So, <laughs> like, you own the company, the estate he lives on and everything else, right? Yeah. The thing about the Cullinan is it's such a wonderful f- you everything it's Uh i have a rolls royce yes it's bigger than a house and i'm going to enjoy it watch me imperiously glide through everywhere they do do a black badge version of the cullinan it's a bit quicker but it's still very much a rolls royce so you don't really hear any of that v12 you don't feel much because you're basically in a very fast marshmallow whereas the dbx it's still soft and squidgy, even when the suspension is set to its hardest. Right. You can still drive it round and you won't get backache. Right. It, it'll still lean a little bit. There's still great pliance in it.
0: And it's a handsome thing. The Culloden is just... It's it, a brick. Yeah, and I love that. The Bentayga, I really struggle with it. It looks like a mess. But the DBX, <laughs> and particularly the 707, is Pretty sexy, live feline, sinuous.
2: It's got all of that, but then you get up close to it, and it's massive. The one I drove was on twenty-three-inch
0: wheels. Flipping heck, that's a lot yeah. of wheels.
2: That's a lot of wheel. That's a lot of wheels per inch. <laughs> when I was out there on the launch, Mers was there delivering the press conference. What, Oli Mers? No, Tobias. Tobias Mers, formerly <laughs> yes. AMG. Yes. Tobias Mers. Quite a big deal. But he was like, this is my new vision for Aston Martin. We're going to be more sporting. We're going to be a bit more brash. We're going to be a bit more in your face. Because previously, I think, Aston has catered for an audience of people who like Aston Martin because it's an Aston Martin. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Sporty. I've always had Astons. Yeah. Yeah. There's money at that end of the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's more money if you go, this is the fastest, this is the best. And at the same time, making a version for the people who go. Oh, I've always had an Aston Martin. You know,
0: your average landed gentry, when they go into the Aston Martin dealership to buy a car, they buy one. Yeah, and it lasts them forty years. Yeah, yes. And the person working in the dealership, well, so this is the seven hundred seven edition. It's the most sporting car. No person who ever ever went into an Aston Martin dealership is going to turn to that salesperson and say, ah. Is there a popular plus version with steer wheels? I'd very much like that. Ain't going to help, is it? So they've got to do that. What comes as standard on the seven o seven? You know what comes as standard? Rear window, um, <laughs> reclining seats, no. so optional ventilation.
2: I was talking to a dealer, and they're comfortable that one won't leave the showroom for less than a quarter of a million quid.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because of all the options people will spend. Because of all the toys, right? Yeah. I want the big wheels, I want the
2: brakes, I want the this, I want the that, I want the new sports seat, I want the everything, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because it'll do it, and it's the status symbol. Then when you think about numbers and figures and things like that, one of my favourite ones, from, I think it was from 2020, or maybe 2019, Rolls were talking about the introduction of the Cullinan and what it did for Rolls-Royce sales. You know, with the you know five 6,000 cars they sold that year... They said that, you know, Cullinan accounted for 42 to 45%, if memory serves. But 80% of those people were new to the brand. Wow! Hmm.
0: That's right? significant when it's Rolls-Royce, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So you've got a whole swathe of new people who don't want the big imperious land yacht, who don't want the sort of big imperious land yacht with two doors, or the <gasps> slightly smaller big imperious land yacht. What they want... Yep is they want an SUV because that's what everyone has where they live and that's what everyone has now. And Aston, you know, Aston was late to the game with DBX in the first place, let's be honest, and the car it put out was genuinely brilliant. The standard DBX, the 550-horsepower one, is a really good bit of kit. But the 707 is, it's special. You run out of road and then you can drive like a lunatic and it's hilarious. It puts a big smile on face. The only thing is they say, oh yeah, we managed to keep parity with MPG. So it'll do 19 miles to the gallon.
0: It will not. Right. That is a lie. That is a big lie. It will do 19 miles to the gallon. If you're in 8th gear and freewheeling downhill... Otherwise, it's going to be two. I average nine. Oh, really?
2: <laughs> but I was behaving like a child. Well,
0: that's what they're for. There
2: are some really cool little Easter eggy bits in there as well. well Aston does like to lean on its heritage a little bit,
0: yeah. doesn't it? Oh, it has been known.
2: It has been known that maybe the DB5 is sort of the Wunderkind. They would have mentioned this if they thought that, honestly. I know. Yeah. I know. They're so quiet about it. I don't understand. But when you do the cruise control and when you've got all the sort of driver assistance things that has a little silhouette of a car, I didn't notice it at first because you have a forward facing one. It was so small in this instance, this massive digital display. But I was paying attention to where I was going, and then it was a tiny little car with tiny little headlights. So I thought oh, that's very sweet, and a little grill. And it wasn't until I was adjusting the radar cruise distance. Can you even set how close to a car it'll get? Because so we were running a little late to get back for after our day's filming, so we found a motorway and nailed down it. But the measurement, rather than bars, is in db5s.
0: <laughs> so it's a db5
2: away from the
0: car in front. It's really sweet. It's Aww. really very sweet. That's a, actually uh, quite a reasonable reference. To have, yeah. that's a good way to think about distances. Between oh, the it's it's one
2: front. car length, two car length, yeah, three car length, yeah. four car, four car lengths. But why not have a little DB5? Nice.
0: What's your favourite thing about that car? The noise. Yeah?
2: Definitely the noise. do do an impression for me. I can't. I haven't smoked enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a guttural, very... Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. There will be a video on car <clears throat> if you want to look at that at some point. Thank you. We will there were a couple of things that irritate me about it. It's not got a touchscreen.
0: Interesting. That's unusual these days, at least, isn't it? Not one at all. All real buttons. Yep. Yeah.
2: And if you want to navigate the screen, yeah. you've got to use a twisty thing, and it does all twisty stuff, which yeah. is great. You know, it does the job. It's just a bit of a faff. And is that a Mercedes front end for that? Have they got their own these days? I wonder. I believe their own is on the way. It's being worked on. Uh huh. But yeah, it's a command system. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not the best. It's definitely better than what came before because what came before was dreadful. It's got CarPlay and all that stuff. It was a Volvo unit before, wasn't well, it? I yeah, so it was a Volvo nav, but the way it worked was that the music bit was separate from the nav. Right. So the nav did that fold-away trick that it does, so it yeah. folds into the centre console, which is fine. It's a neat thing. But then you have a sort of little control knob thing, but none of the buttons, apart from one selectory knob does anything to the scripts it was stupid and it didn't work very well they did latterly do some like touch panelist stuff that was a lot better but it still wasn't very good now so it's sort of a mercedes command doodad and it's all right um it does the job
0: so to wrap this up yeah. if you had a choice between the levante trofeo or the dbx 707 Or the Hyundai i20N that I know you had recently. Which would you take, in all honesty?
2: I'd probably have the Aston, because I like hand-built British cars. (laughs) It's
0: the correct answer.
2: Because I'm a child. Do you know what the
0: best thing about that Aston Martin is?
2: What? Built in Wales. Of course it is, it's built in Athens. And obviously, Gareth Jones has found the local angle. It's built in Wales.
0: (laughs) It's a Welsh car. If you look under the bonnet... It says, hand-built in Wales by Aston Martin, not hand-built in England anymore. And I think there's a Welsh flag there, not the Union flag, the Welsh flag there. So I'm big on Aston Martin, more than I ever have been. Always loved Aston Martin, but now they're a Welsh. I'm seeing I'm in your head now. A Welsh company a Welsh company. Ah, you're in my head too. Mm. I love them even more. Alex, I'm very jealous. I wish I'd got to drive that with you. But hey, let's go for a drive together again. Yes. Shall we? Yes. Well, the Morgan's back in town so we can go playing in that. It's about time we played. Lovely to have you with us, Alex. And also thank you to Sarah earlier on. You've been listening to Alex Goy. Bye. And I was Gareth. And this was Gareth Jones on Speed. See ya.
2: For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by WhizBang.
0: Gareth Jones on Speed!
1: Speed! Speed! <laughs>